So when I rode into town, there were wild burrows wandering around town. And people following them and sweeping their poop off the street with push brooms. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast for episode two. So glad you guys chose to join me again, and I did not run you off in the first episode. Tonight, we are going to be covering a lot of ground. We're going to be covering from Williams, Arizona, all the way to San Francisco, California. And we are going to do a lot of things between here and there. We're going to talk about all that tonight. I don't have a lot in the way of housekeeping other than to say, if you have a story you would like to share with us, please do so by sending an email to mywaywardstory at gmail.com or by visiting the website and doing it through the contact form. We will receive it either way and process it in due form. Um, But let's just get right into it tonight. That is all the housekeeping we have. So... I'd gone back to Williams, it's Christmas Day, and it's the eve of Christmas Day, and I'm standing outside eating my dinner, um, watching the snow fall on the eve of Christmas Day where we last left off, um, and to pick back up tonight, I'll be leaving at probably about 5am, that's about how I rolled on that trip, I was trying to take advantage of every single second that I could and see as many things as I possibly could on my way to San Francisco, um, Morgan Hill to be specific, to be completely transparent, but it's right on the fringes of the edge south of San Jose. And San Jose, San Francisco, Oakland, all of that's basically one big R city anyway. All the lines are blurred now, just like a Dallas, Fort Worth, Arlington situation, and God knows how many other cities. Um, and anyway, yeah, let's get started. Let's head that way. You head out 40. And the first thing I did, I shot from Williams and I headed over and I went up to the Hoover Dam. And that's a big detour, y'all. But again, it's an iconic national, United States national um, landmark. And I wanted to see it. I wanted to take in as much as I could. So I shot up to the Hoover Dam. And I will say this about the Hoover Dam. It's really cool. It is massive. It is If you have a fear of heights, it can be a little terrifying if you get out there on the dam and look down the side of it. Um, Even for me, and I don't have an extreme fear of heights, but even me, it's a little disorienting. Like, you look down and it's like, holy crap. Um, But it's really cool. It's really pretty. Lake Mead is very pretty. Like, it's it's interesting. Everything in that valley and the size of the dam, it's all very interesting. Um, There's a lot of cool history that is well represented as you walk to the dam itself on the walls, it talks about the workers who built it, some of the history of how it was built. Um, it's a very cool place. It is a very cool place. But I will say this, it's a heck of a detour from, say, Interstate 40, or even if you're coming from Vegas to get down in there. Lots of tourists, lots of tourist buses, very little parking. It's it's a time-consuming very time-consuming side trip. I'm not trying to discourage you from it. Just know what you're going to, you know, it's going to be one of those things. But very cool to see. Very cool to check out and learn the history of. And as I've said so many times, I am a history nerd. And also, I've learned in um, more recent years, because I've been doing my research for my next big yearly trip to come up this year, trying to find places, and I'm still pretty dang enamored with the desert southwest. I discovered that there's actually a rail trail 
um, in and or around uh, Lake Mead there and um, the Hoover Dam. And it was a railway that was built to help construct the dam. And how cool of a hike would that be? And there I went on up to Vegas, mostly just to say that I drove down the Vegas Strip. I had no real intention of stopping. I'm not much of a gambler. It's not my thing. Um, didn't really have the time or the money for the hookers. So like, I was really just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I just really wanted to drive in and see Vegas with my own eyes. You know, there are things that like the Grand Canyon, I wanted to get out and explore as much as I could. And then there were things like the Hoover Dam in Vegas, you know, as I'm trying to decide how to spend my time you know 28 hour drive over two and a half days only leaves so much time for exploration and I was trying to see everything I could at this point I didn't know there was going to be a return trip to San Francisco so I was trying to do everything I possibly could so Vegas was literally just I just want to drive down the strip that was like a big mistake traffic in Vegas holy crap I was in Vegas on this like just a handful of miles stretch down the Vegas Strip for at least two hours. Like it cost me so much time on my journey westward just to say I drove down the Strip. Not to say that people go to Vegas like it's not that big a deal just to see the Strip. That's what I wanted. I wanted to see the Strip. Um, And I mean, on the one hand... In hindsight, and it's in the past now. It was cool. It was it was beautiful to see. It was really interesting to see. Um, but you know, really, in that moment, in that time, it was a waste of time for me because I didn't. I probably should have thought about traffic would be that bad, but you know, whatever. We all make mistakes. But it was kind of cool. Got to see the strip. Um, and came back down. Ran across a couple of the old. Uh, the solar farms, those things, if you've never seen a solar farm, one of the big ones, it's got the big collection tower in the middle and all the solar, the mirrors are aimed at it. It's it's a sight to behold, guys. It's otherworldly. It looks like something out of a space odyssey or it, it really is sci-fi. It's almost sci-fi. I mean, heck, it, any of you gamers out there, I was huge into uh, New Vegas, like that plays a significant role. A solar farm, a collection point plays a significant role in that game. I mean, clearly they 3d modeled it absolutely identical. Um, from a distance in the desert, the glow, it is so bright. The collection point at the top of that tower is so bright, even from God knows how many miles from the highway it really even was. It was way out there. You could tell that it was far distant, but it's the desert. It's flat. It could have been 10 miles away. Um, and it, it just, it was just so bright and you could see the rays of light firing from the mirrors at that central point. Like it just, it had an otherworldly look. It looked absolutely sci-fi. It was crazy. Very cool. But from there, I made my way back down to Kingman, Arizona. And I did this for a very specific reason. I did a lot of research because I wanted to find an extant portion of Route 66 still in place that I could drive and check out that had something left of that nostalgic time in American history. Um, I know, granted, we say nostalgic. This is more of a, you know, it's more of a dream to think about that. Yeah, in a very general sense, it was honestly probably the apex of 
economy and society for America. I mean, people forget about the 1930s, the Great Depression, the Dust Bowl. A lot of my family was a part of the Dust Bowl situation. Um, People forget how bad things were going into World War II and then how bad World War II was. But there's like an interesting outcome of World War II. And that was that we were basically untouched. We lost a lot of men and we lost a lot of military hardware. But U.S. national soil, we were untouched, basically untouched. We were a little bit here and there. But we had built so many factories and created so many factory workers and ramped up production to such a degree. And all of that remained. All of Europe basically flattened. All of the, you know, Eastern Asia, Japan, China, basically flattened. There was nothing anywhere. Very few people left to manufacture goods for the rest of the world. We were sitting pretty. We had all the capability. We had all the capacity. We had all the infrastructure. And we had a whole bunch of men coming home from war that needed jobs. And thus was born the atomic family of the 1950s. Husband that works, a wife that tends house, and 2.5 children, a little fluffy dog, and a white picket fence in the yard, and a giant boat of a car that you could drive down Route 66. That was the birth of the atomic American family. And it kind of fell apart within just a couple of decades. But being fair, completely fair, we still were in the midst of segregation and desegregation. We were still in the midst of lots and lots and lots of social injustices that were still heavily in play in that time frame. So, because, like I say, I'm I'm a history nerd and I always want to be transparent. Like, I am not blind to the fact of what that was. And I don't think any of us should be, so it made its way in here tonight. But the whole idea of Route 66 and that iconic imagery, the nostalgia of it, I wanted to know if any of it was left, if any of it existed that I could go check out. And it does. There are several places, but one of the best ones I found, and it was generally along my route, was from Kingman, Arizona to Needles, California. Goes up over... The Black Mountains, I forget how many miles stretch, it's 36, 37 mile stretch, something to that degree. Um, And it is through, I'm talking stereotypical desert southwest, the archetype of the desert southwest. And it goes through a small semi-ghost town, and it's got an old service station straight from the era, and it was absolutely awesome. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And you take off out of Kingdom, King Men, and you're heading west out Old Route 66 where it diverges from Interstate 40. And you head up into these mountains. And it's absolutely beautiful. There are mesas, there are vistas, there are, and it's like a fun drive. Especially if you had like a little sports car, which I did not. But if you were like one of those people, hairpin curves, it. It's a really fun drive, and it's a really beautiful drive. And one of the first things that I noticed, um, I can't remember which came first. I believe the service station came first, and I stopped and took a bunch of pictures of it, edited several up into um, very like Kodachrome, Kodak-looking style, vintage-style photos, because that's what the station looks like. It just fits, man. It just fits the stereotype. And as I went on up, I believe the next thing I came across was the Schaefer Fishbowl Spring, which what it came out to be from the jump was 
there are rock steps cut into the side of the little mountain here that go up to basically, I don't know what. Could be anything. Like, there's no signs. There's nothing. You know, like, usually you come across stuff, it tells you there's something here to go check out. There's Here's a point of interest. Um, And this is what I'm out here doing is I'm exploring, man. I'm making my way. And I see these steps. So, you know, you know, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to climb up those steps and find out where they go. For good or for bad, we're going to check it out. So I head up these steps. And at the top, I find this little, like, almost like a natural rock, man-made, kind of like a bowl. I mean, it was a water catch. And it was a basin. It was a water basin that was man-made. And it's got this clear water in it. And on the neck, right next to it, it's a tiny tiny little like gold plate silver plate kind of plaque just little bitty stabbed onto the wall that says Schaefer Fishbowl Spring so I had to google that I had to look that up to see what it was all about and what it was is what I what I was given to understand I found the story in multiple places in different iterations but they all tell generally the same story which is um, a man that worked for the WPA while they were doing work up through the mountain there is probably for Route 66 for all I know, but they were working in the mountains doing a project up in the mountains and he found this spring and they built a catch basin for this spring so that it would hold water. And apparently the way it gained the name Fishbowl Spring is they put goldfish in it because what I could understand when I initially did this research a long time ago was basically the goldfish would eat some kind of plant that would grow in the spring there in the water and keep the, the basically the basin cleaned out. And um, so, yeah, it became Schaefer Fishball Spring. And Schaefer was either the man who found the spring or the man who built the basin, or maybe he did both. Um, but I'm not stopping to look that up right now. Because there's really no need, and you can look it up for yourself. Um, and I mean, I hope that you're you're gathering here. What I'm trying to do is push you towards taking a Route 66 adventure out in Zona and the Desert Southwest, because all of this is cool. Next thing we're about to run into, you're really going to dig. Um, actually, the next to next thing. <laughs> the very next thing after Schaefer Fishbowl Springs, after some more driving up this beautiful mountain, you come to an area it's called Sight Grieve Pass. And you basically top probably the highest point in that section of the mountain. And you come upon just a stunning vista of the west. Out to the west, you can see, I mean, a long, long way. And it's absolutely beautiful looking over the desert. So I pull over to take pictures to to just kind of take it all in. And as I was kicking around there at this little overlook turnout, I noticed up above me a wooden cross. Kind of like a head, like a grave, grave marker type of wooden cross. And I thought, I wonder if there is some kind of a historic cemetery up here. And I love history. I love things like this. So I run up there to check it out. And oddly enough, it is not historic. But I did indeed find myself in a burial ground of sorts. So I find all of these markers and there's a lot of them. One of them's painted on a large rock that was just already there on the mountain. And I can't remember what it said. I think it says something like the stars will explode tonight. It was it was a tribute that somebody painted to a lost friend. Um, another one of the markers had 
two bottles of beer. One of them was open and empty and the other was still full. Um, God knows how long they had been there. They were pretty weathered. Obviously, somebody had a last beer with their buddy. Um, Many, many things like that. So I Googled it. You know, what's an intrepid explorer in 2018 to do? Google that ish. And I Googled it, looked into it. I had enough service there. I think I had one bar. I had long load times. But I did find an explanation of what the heck's going on at Site Grieve Pass. And as it turns out, somebody somewhere down the line thought that it would be a great place to memorialize a lost friend and spread their ashes. Because at that point, you are overlooking three states. You're overlooking Arizona. You're overlooking Nevada and you're overlooking California. You can see all three states from that point. And it kind of caught on and became more popular to where many people spread the ashes or want to be spread there. It is not, I do not believe anyone's actually buried there. I don't think it's that kind of a graveyard. As I think about it, I don't know the semantics, the ins and the outs of all that, but I know that it's a very big deal and very federally mandated who and what and how you can inter somebody so it has to just be more of a scatterground um and I was very cool you know you find yourself in a situation like that and it does make you contemplate you know we live so much in the news cycle we live so much in a world that's built on clickbait and fear um fear tactics and it's all about division and keeping us thinking this and that and the other It's nice to see a little piece of humanity out there in the world sometimes and other people and see that they are real just like us, that we're all the same, that there is no different. The world is, right now I say the world, certain portions of the world are bent on making us think that none of us could ever get along and we shouldn't like each other. And things like that transcend that mindset, those tactics that are out there. Um, and if y'all think I'm crazy, y'all, y'all Google that. I'm not talking out my tail. I'm not a conspiracy theorist here. That's real stuff. That's social issues we face today. Y'all need to look into that. But it's nice to be reminded of the humanity of all the other people in the world. Um, cause there were some very touching monuments up there, very touching words and, and obviously symbolic objects left there. And you could almost read into a lot of them and, and get an idea of what they probably meant and why. And it was just, it was a very neat thing. It was a very somber thing, you know, creates a sense of reverence. And, uh, I, I just think it's a really beautiful thing. And it's something y'all should probably take a look at. If you ever go out, you ever decide to take the adventure for yourself, you should go out there and check that out. And I think you'll appreciate it as much as I did. Um, the rest of the drive heading back towards needles, you start seeing abandoned mining equipment everywhere and I am a history nerd as I said and it's really cool there's some really really awesome looking abandoned mining equipment you can tell some of them are are over the heads of shafts there's all kinds of just machinery and equipment just scattered everywhere everywhere you look um I got out I poked a little bit I looked at a few here and there I checked out a few but also felt like I was probably on private property because there weren't really fences. But I could not, by way of like Google Maps, determined that it was like, say, National Forest Land or National Monument Land. It wasn't anything that I could tell was public land. And I don't want to be trespassing on anybody's anything. I'm a 
big fan of being a responsible explorer of the world, a responsible denizen of the community when you're out there and not making enemies and not making it harder for the people that come after us to explore and see really cool stuff. So I didn't get to explore it very thoroughly, but another Google search revealed that Kingman or this, this little area, it was a town called Oatman, what we're about to come on onto in just a minute. It was founded shortly after two prospectors struck gold in 1915. Their find amounted to about $10 million. And a huge gold industry popped up there. I remember when researching it in the past that it was one of the biggest finds. It was in the the realm of significance of like the 49ers and the 59ers. But this happened in 1915. It was one of the very last significant gold strikes and a big industry popped up around it and up popped this little town called Oatman, Arizona. And it is a very cool place. Um, Way back when, I believe it was in the twenties, almost every building in in town burned down, unfortunately, but they do still have the historic Oatman Hotel, which was built in 1902, it survived the 1921 fire, and it is one of the oldest buildings in town. It is considered to be a ghost town of sorts, but I feel like it's kind of probably a lot like St. Elmo, Colorado, which we'll talk about down the road in another episode, um, where there are residents that still live there. It is a really, really cool little town. Supposedly, the hotel is haunted. For any of you uh, ghost adventurers out there, <laughs> which I uh, have mixed feelings about Zach Baggin. Anyway, the resident ghost is named Odie, who's thought to be the ghost of an Irish miner named William Ray Flower. Um, so there's that. And I believe, I wonder, you know what, I'd have to look into that. So I'm not going to tell you one way or another if you can still stay there. Um, ah, here we go. Today, the Oatman Hotel functions mostly as a restaurant and a saloon. Um, supposedly there are some other playful ghosts that dwell here doing things like turning out lights, lifting glasses and other quote unquote benign acts. Um, it's, it's a very cool place. It's a very cool place. When I rode into town, there were donkeys, the old dude donkey. There were donkeys, wild burrows wandering around town and people following them and sweeping their poop off the street with push brooms. With shop brooms. Um, That is a feature of the town. They're descendants of prospector livestock from nearly a century ago. And they're also federally protected by the Department of the Interior. And they basically have the run of Oatman. They get to just roll around Oatman. And they're protected by the federal government. So you best not mess with them. But you can pet them. They're super, super cute. Um, I may take my daughter someday on a road trip to Oatman just to pet the donkeys because she would lose her ever loving little mind. I just, I can hear it now. I can hear it now. And it's so damn cute. Anyway, it's just a really, really neat little ghost town, quote unquote ghost town on this stretch of historic route 66. You got the donkeys, you've got abandoned mining artifacts from the last significant gold boom that the United States had. It's a slice of Route 66 nostalgia. No doubt. It is literally a slice of history. Um, If you go to do it, you will love it. 
and I suggest you stop at everything along the way in there. There is to stop at. Um, but the scenery alone, the scenery alone is absolutely amazing. It's absolutely magical. Um, and that's like, to me, that is the desert Southwest. You know, New Mexico's kind of got its own feel, the land of enchantment, but it does. It has its own feel and it's very, very cool. But Arizona also has its own feel within the desert Southwest. It has its own look. Um, it's got its own formations that have their own kind of otherworldly feel. The desert Southwest is just intoxicating almost. It's absolutely amazing place. And I suggest you go and you check out this little stretch of Route 66, Old 66. Still extant, still in good shape, still well-maintained. Some really cool stuff along the way through there to check out. Um, and then I found my way back to basically from there you head further south and you come back out through the desert and there's a couple of really, really cool rock formations to get pictures of on the way out. Um, really beautiful, really bright red. And you've got all these cactus cacti in the foreground to work with, with their fruit. Um, there you can get some amazing pictures on this stretch and then you pop out, um, needles, needles, California. And it's kind of interesting there, too. Like I said, I'm a history nerd. I also love railroads. Like, I love old railroad history. Don't know why. I grew up in a little town in Oklahoma, Hevener, Oklahoma, junction point for the Kansas City Southern Railway. And my grandfather was actually a brakeman for the Kansas City Southern. Um, and so probably came from that, you know, those lone, lonesome longing train whistles in the middle of the night while you're trying to sleep and you live three blocks from the tracks. Um, but I have a love of trains and I also just have this love of history. So when you roll back towards Interstate 40 coming down from Oatman, you go under a railroad trestle and it still has the markings for the old Santa Fe Railway, which has been no more for a long, long time because it merged with Burlington Northern and became BNSF. But the old Santa Fe Railroad and the old Super Chief, like they have a long history in the desert southwest, an iconic history in the desert southwest. The imagery of one of those gleaming passenger train, one the Super Chief rolling through the desert, it, it's an iconic image in nerd circles. It's an iconic image in nerd circles. And that was just kind of really cool to drive under a section of, and it's still currently railroad. It's just now Burlington Northern in Santa Fe, but just to have the old uh, ATSF iconography on the side, it just, you're in the Southwest, you're in the desert to see that, like it really evokes those thoughts of that for me at least. And that was really neat. That was really cool. As you travel throughout Interstate 40 through the Southwest, you're going to run into some really cool things like you go through some lava flows because there was some very volcanic, you know, it was a very volcanically active um, area at a different time in history. Obviously not any time recently. And you drive like literally on 40, you drive right through the center of some major lava flows. You can see it on either side of the road. You can tell that you're driving through something different. And if you know, if you're any kind of a nerd at all, you'll recognize pretty quickly. Well, it's all coming from that big mountain over there that looks kind of like a volcano. And that's exactly what it is. Um, other things, you get out, going out 40, guys, Petrified National Forest in the Painted Desert. They have like a 36-mile driving tour. Maybe it's not 36, maybe it's 28, but somewhere in that ballpark. And like you can drive through the Painted Desert 
and the Petrified National Forest. And you can get all these pictures. I got a bunch of pictures of petrified trees. Got to see the painted desert, which just has, I mean, it's, it, it looks like it's been painted. I mean, it lives up to its name. It's very cool. Um, at, at one point you go through, and this is where Interstate 40 basically parallels the old alignment of Route 66. 66 doesn't exist in the, in the bounds of the National Park anymore there, Petrified Forest. But they have a static display of an old Studebaker on the alignment of 66 that still has the old telegraph poles in the background. And it is a, it's, I, I got a picture of that. It's one of my favorites. Absolutely love it. But like, it's not like, you know, it's not like a restored Studebaker. It's like tops chopped. It's got, I mean, it's literally up on blocks. You see it and you think, oh crap, did I already make it to Barstow? What happened to the last however many miles? <laughs> I'm sorry, Barstow. I couldn't help it. Um, But it's really cool. It's really cool. There's so many things down 66. Meteor Crater. I hit it on the way back. Meteor Crater is only like a 12 or 14 mile jaunt off of 40. That's the thing about Petrified Forest, y'all. You exit at the Petrified Forest sign. And like when you, like when the off ramp ends, you're at the gate. I mean, it is, I mean, that exit kind of only existed for Petrified Forest, to be honest. It's a super easy trip to make. Um, It's very, very cool. And all of that is right down Interstate 40. Um, from Needles, though, heading on, you're about to you're about to hit... Well, where did it happen at? I guess it happens right before Needles. Either way, there's an agricultural checkpoint. If you've ever gone to Mexico by car, you know what a Border Patrol checkpoint looks like. You know kind of what it's like. If you've never driven to California... You need to know that they have basically border patrol checkpoints, but they're not border patrol. They're ag checkpoints to make sure you're not bringing any invasive plants or invasive um, insects or anything of the like into California. They have a massive agricultural industry, and it's kind of important to the state to the point that they have massive checkpoints. And you pull up and I'm like, what is Did I make a wrong turn? Am I headed into Mexico? And they're asking about if you've got any plants or anything of the like, any particular flora that you're bringing into the state. And you're like, what? Um, It's very interesting. Southern California, once you get past, say, well, (laughs) Barstow and you get past Bakersfield, it gets really absolutely amazingly gorgeous heading north. You get into these areas where you're looking at these giant, really steep, really dramatic hills, which I mean, they might even be mountains. They're big and they're in ranges, but they're not like mountain, mountain big. They're somewhere in between, but they're very dramatically shaped. They're very steep. And a lot of them don't have any trees, but they're just these beautiful rolling green hills. They're just covered in grass. They're absolutely gorgeous. And then in certain parts, they're covered in windmills, which in the setting you're in, they actually look very, very cool. The windmills actually look very interesting. It's very visually stimulating to look at. They're almost beautiful in their own right, even though depending on how you look at it, some people would see it and see them to be incredibly ugly. But in the setting there, they look really cool, especially on these these giant green hills. The thing about California is if you've ever worked, if you guys have ever taken pictures and you've noticed like the pictures you take towards sunset are beautiful, like there's a terminology for that. It's called magic hour 
or golden hour. Because that last hour to an hour and a half before sunset anywhere has this golden glow about it. It's the way the sun is coming through the atmosphere. Um, photographers love to try to use it. Um, filmmakers, we loved Magic Hour. You would set up certain scenes to happen during Magic Hour, especially the romantic scenes. You want the romantic scene going down during Magic Hour because it's got like this soft glow. Everything in frames got like this soft glow and you don't have to have a gel. Well, I'm sorry, a filter. It's called a filter to the rest of the world. You don't have to have any kind of filter to pull it off. You just have to point and shoot and boom, movie magic. That's magic hour. In California, I learned it's kind of always magic hour. And I don't know if it's got to do with like the way that the sun is coming through, like the humidity coming off the ocean. I have no idea. I don't know what's going on in Cali, but it always looks beautiful. It always has like a certain visual aspect that just kind of feels like magic hour you can't take bad pictures in california like i learned this i'm as amateur as it gets you can't take a bad picture in california everything i mean the picture takes itself i came back from california and one of my friends said to me he's like man you don't take pictures you take postcards and i'm like yeah you did yeah you're right (laughs) like because i was in california everything out there is a postcard It's absolutely amazing. Something that I noticed that really blew my mind, though. I mean, we know how populated California is, like, around L.A., around San Francisco and Oakland and all that. But, like, you go through the center of the state, it's all agriculture. I don't think a lot of people know this. California is ag, baby. Like, they're very agriculturally driven. And you're driving up the center of the state, the bottom leg of the state, headed towards San Francisco. I believe you're on the five to head up at that point. You're heading up to San Francisco, and it's all agriculture. There's not a house in sight, but, but, everywhere you look towards the beautiful scenery in the distance, between you and the scenery is 455,000 power lines. Like, the infrastructure is everywhere in California to maintain all, you know, all the people that are living there. It's everywhere like literally california and infrastructure are ubiquitous it was actually furiatingly frustrating at times because i'm like look at this shot look at this mountain and the sun way the sun's falling out on, on it and the white puffy clouds and the freaking power lines and the giant transformers between me and the mountains it's everywhere Like, over on the coast is where you get a bit of a break from it. But the center of California is gorgeous, y'all. I mean, it's it's rolling meadows. It's giant, steep, green, grass-covered hills. It's it's farmland. It's beautiful. And covered in power poles and transformers and telephone lines and natural gas junction points. And, like, it's just, it's it's all infrastructure. It's crazy. Um, but that was like a wake up call to me too, seeing all of this agriculture. I had no idea that California had so much ag, no idea. Um, it's the whole state y'all Northern, Northern California is lots of mountains, right? Lots of woods, lots of Bigfoot, all that. Um, but when you think of California, you think of like Los Angeles, you think of San Francisco, you think of those things you don't realize unless you're there. 
The whole stinking state is agriculture and it's very conservative. It's very redneck. I mean, outside of the city limits of San Francisco and Morgan Hill and those two little areas I was in, it felt like being at home in Arkansas half the time. The trucks looked the same. I mean, the houses, well, the houses don't look the same, but the people are very conservative. They're very, it's just, it's mind blowing because you think of California as the progressive state as the liberal state and we don't we're not going to do politics on here and y'all will never know what my politics are i will never tell you you'll never find out so if you hear me talking about one side or the other if it ever comes up don't even pretend to begin to think that you know what i think about which one i try to stay completely unbiased because we're not opening that can of worms here that's not what this show is for but it's just interesting because that's kind of what california at least where i'm from in the mid-south that's what everyone thinks about it and i mean it's not even remotely like that, except for the two major population centers, which is Los Angeles and its surrounding communes and San Francisco and its surrounding communes. The rest of the state's crazy conservative. It it was mind-blowing to me. But all the agriculture, I mean, for example, when I drove into the terminal from where we stayed in Morgan Hill, I had to drive across a place called Hecker Pass, which went up over a mountain through a redwood forest on my way to Watsonville. And it was a freaking beautiful drive every single morning on my way into work. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I mean, for God's sake, being at work every day was like being on vacation. But, um, I mean, no, I still work. Don't get me wrong. I was doing 195 to 210 stops a day, but you could do that in a community that's that compact and the way they put things together in California, I was doing 45 to 50 stops an hour, which is crazy, y'all. That's almost a stop a minute. Man, that's running like the house is on fire. Um, But it was still like, it was like being on vacation when you were at work because like you pull up in someone's yard to deliver a package and there's a friggin' citrus tree. There's an orange tree or, a you know, a lemon tree. It was crazy. Um, it was just that beautiful. Everything was beautiful and it's clean. You know, I mean, I get it. A lot of people don't dig the draconian nature of the laws there. They're very strict about many things, but like the upsides of that are everything is clean. Everything is well kept. Everything is clean cut. Um, and it was just a really, 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 really beautiful place. And it was amazing how much agriculture there was. I I lost my train of thought. I went on one of my, my, uh, patented tangents. But when I got over Hecker Pass on my way to work every morning, I drove through the Driscoll's fields. You've heard of Driscoll's, right? They make like jam and, and jelly and all that stuff that you put on your toast and your bagel in the morning. I drove through their fields and their fields were literally, I mean, they were giant, went on as far as you could see. And out there in the middle of the fields was human beings with baskets hanging off of their body, picking berries by hand. Like that's the agriculture that's in California and it's everywhere. Um, Other things that I came across, like there's a lot of, like you wouldn't believe this. Like it's crazy too how close the ag goes to say the town. Okay, for example... I'm in Morgan Hill, California, which is a very affluent place. I mean, it's like 17th most affluent in the United States or something. It's where all the people who built the internet as we know it today retired to. It's a very, very affluent place. Basically, everyone there is rich and stoned. I mean, I'm talking like four out of five houses you walked up to, you're smelling smelling skunk weed. 
you know, coming from the garage. Everyone there is very well off. Cheapest house we found, just out of curiosity, we got really curious and we started looking at some uh, real estate websites. Cheapest house we could find out there while we were there in 2018 was $995,000. And it was a two bedroom, one bath house. It was like 1,150 square feet. Wrap your brain around that. Um, everyone there has got some money and they're stoned out of their mind and they were all super chill and I really, really liked all of them. But you're, you're in Morgan Hill, super, I mean, gosh, guys, I delivered IBM's world headquarters. It was right there outside of Morgan Hill for real. This is Silicon Valley that we're in and right outside of like IBM's world headquarters, I'm in this little bitty neighborhood and at the end of the cul-de-sac, just beyond the cul-de-sac is this hill. And it has cows on it. It has mountain cows on it. They are hairy. They are apparently part mountain goat. Because the hills in San Francisco, maybe you've heard about it. They're really steep. So they've got mountain cows in Cali. And they're so adorable. They look like yaks. They look kind of like a yak. You ever seen a yak? I mean, take the horns off of it and you kind of got a mountain cow. In Morgan Hill, California. That stuff was literally right on the other side of million dollar houses. Like I could see it right behind the end of the yard of the house I'm delivering to. It was just so surreal. Like the agriculture takes over so much of the entire area. Um, You get into the population centers, it's crazy. But outside the population centers... It is agriculture, and it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. The drives are beautiful. Beyond the infrastructure, it's absolutely beautiful. And we're going to get into all of that in other episodes further down the line. We're going to talk about the coast, the Pacific coast, the Central coast, the Big Sarah coast. We're going to talk about all that stuff, and I hope that you guys will come back to check that out when we do, because there's some beautiful stuff out there. There's some awesome stories I have to tell about all those things out there, guys. Um, But I think that brings us to the end of this episode tonight. We're pretty dang close to wrapping this one up. Actually, I say close. I think we're there. Um, That is the story of Williams, Arizona, on to San Francisco, and just basically glanced across the high points, guys. Like, I could tell you a whole lot about things I saw between... Basically, Amarillo, Texas, and San Francisco, California. I made two trips, so that's four total drives. Two there and two back. Um, and it, guys, it's y'all. Y'all could just make a road trip vacation if you really wanted to. You could make a road trip vacation. You could do it on the cheap too, man. Like you could stay Motel Six all the way. The only Motel Six I don't suggest that I've ever stayed in is the one in Barstow, California. And Barstow, I know it sounds like I'm picking on you, but to be honest, like. You know, it's not without reason. Anyway, moving on, let's wrap up tonight's episode because I'm rambling on about nothing now. I really want to thank all of you who stuck around this long for two episodes, which is kind of surprising. But hey, if you're a glutton for punishment, I hope to see you back next week for round three. If you have a story to submit about any of your adventures out there in the world, you can do that by sending an email to mywaywardstory at gmail.com. If you, again, sip of the social mead, you can come and check out my website, which is waywardstories.com. And from there, you can get to all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, um, my Instagram. It's all right there, right on the front page. There's a social links and you can check all of that out. If you want to support the show, I am an independent artist and 
everything we're doing here is coming out of my pocket right now. It is a labor of love at the moment, and I will continue to do this. But if you want to support me, you can do that by clicking on the Patreon link on the website and becoming a patron. And keep in mind, anything that you support the show with, 20% of that every month will go to a charity. Um, Guys, I think that about wraps it up for tonight. Please get those stories sent my way. And please rate, review, and subscribe. I really need the ratings the subscriptions and the reviews. That's what bumps us up. That's what helps people to find us. Wherever you find your podcast, we're out there on Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, we're everywhere now. Please, wherever you're listening, leave a review. I would sincerely appreciate it. Until next week, you guys be good to each other. Go out there and find something good in the world. Make the world a little bit of a better place. We here at Streel 119 would like to remind all of you out there listening wherever you might be, that though the hill might be steep, and the trail be rocky, the mountaintop awaits. Carry on.